many years ago, I um, worked at Old Sturbridge Village, and at Old Sturbridge Village, sometimes I would look after the sheep. And one of the things that I learned about sheep is that they are they think everything's dangerous. Anything they, they see in their environment, they interpret it as danger. So a plastic bag is uh, blowing by, and they, just, and they run away. Um, and, that's, and that's actually good because um, sheep, they don't have many defense mechanisms. They don't have fangs, you know, sharp teeth. Uh, they don't have claws. So there's not much that protect them. There are a couple things that protect sheep. One is a shepherd. If there is a shepherd, that they protect the sheep. But the other is the flock itself, right? That with many animals like that, zebra in, in Africa and stuff like that, when predators come, it's because they're all in one mass, because they stick together, that the predator can't just focus on one. There's all sorts of legs, there's all sorts of wool, there's ears, there's eyes, they're all just in a big mass, and it makes it hard for them to actually grab one. And that's why sheep will do anything to keep, apart, to keep themselves out of danger, to stay in that flock. I remember once uh, one sheep, we, we would let them out of the pen, uh, out of their pasture, and to go back into the, um, into the barn. And so the whole flock would run in a big mass, and everyone would watch. Well, anyways, one, one sheep in particular got stuck behind something for a while, and so it was separated from the flock. And it was so scared that it was away from the flock because it knew that they're in danger by themselves. It, it started to run to catch up, and it actually ran right under an ox. And I'm like, I thought sheep were scared, and yet you're running underneath this ox that could, you know, just crush you. But it sensed the, the danger, okay? It sensed the great danger that it was in because it was separated from uh, its flock, its, its home. And so sheep are, think everything's dangerous, and they're a lot unlike people. <laughs> um, unlike people. Uh, sheep always assume they're in danger, but, and okay, this may be stereotypical, but especially men, um, we don't ever think we're in danger. So the doctor will, you know, we'll go to the doctor, and the doctor will say, you know, you have really, really high blood pressure. And we'll think, nah, not really, you know, <laughs> not really. It's like, no, it's, 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 you're in, like, very much in danger. You need to cut sodium out of your, your diet, and we're like, no, nah, that's a conspiracy, you know. I don't, <laughs> And, and, and we laugh at it, but the, the tragedy is, though, that many people don't listen to the doctor. They're in danger, and then they have a stroke or something because of the high blood pressure. And I bring these two examples up because in our culture, we approach sin not like sheep, but more like a stubborn man with high blood pressure. Meaning, eh, sin, it's not that serious. I, I, we doubt, is it really even a problem? But that's one of the reasons why it's so important to go through books of the Scripture. In other words, so we're going through the book of Matthew, is so that we look at the Scriptures and we see, well, what does God say about this? Because this is God's Word. And we see from the lips of Jesus that sin is a big deal. 
And so if you only catch one phrase from today's sermon, and I know maybe you, that's also if you're going to catch it, yeah, sin is a big deal, but Christ is a bigger deal. Amen. And we're all on board with that, I think, or hopefully. But in order to understand how big of a deal Christ is, in order to understand the depth of his love for us, we need to understand the seriousness of sin. Because as I look at the state of American Christianity today, I think our love has grown cold. Is that we don't love God in a way where we're so in love with him that we will do anything for him. That we trust him so much that we'll follow him even though what he is saying is different than what the culture tells us. And one of the reasons that our love is cold is we don't understand the depths of his love because we don't understand the depths of our own sin and that Christ defeated those things. And I think that's really the scripture that Kathy read. It talks about the dangerousness of sin, how sin separates us from God. So the bad news is sin is serious. It separates us from God. Jesus talks about sin and hell, things that our culture doesn't like to talk about, but Jesus talked about a lot. So that's the bad news. Sin's a big deal. It separates us from God. But the good news is Christ is a good shepherd, and he seeks and saves us. So let's define sin, because, again, we don't talk about it much in our culture. And I realized without kids' church, I can't. My, I was like, ooh, I like Luther's definition of sin. You know, Martin Luther's definition of sin. Sin is humanity turned in on itself, which is a cool definition, meaning that really the essence of sin is when people, um, when we lift ourselves up to God's place. And so what we want, what we think is best, like we, we treat ourselves as God and not God. Like, that's the essence of sin, and I agree with that, but that's kind of one of those heady, you know, theoretical kind of definitions. So let's just stick with a nice, simple biblical definition. And, and I think sin is that which goes against what God wants. Okay? That's pretty simple, right? Sin is going against what God wants, God's will. Simple definition. But then the difficulty becomes, well, well, what does God want? What is his will for my life? And again, that's why we're a people of the book. We look at the scriptures because we believe the scriptures are God's revelation. God's revelation of what he wants, what he doesn't want for his people. And oftentimes we keep things so general that we just assume, oh yeah, that's the sound of problem. For instance, one of the things Jesus said was uh, when he wanted to um, summarize the whole Bible in a couple of phrases, he said, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, that's, that's God's will right there. And that's true, and it's a wonderful um, summation that God's will for us is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But the problem is, is that definition can be so general that we can like, oh, yeah, I love God. I, I love people. I'm good. And that's why when we dig into the scriptures, we can get more details of, well, what does it mean? Like, what does God want for us? How do we love him? How do we love people? What does that look like? And there's all sorts of lists in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God's spelling out, you know, what is it? If we're a people of his flock, how do we do his will? What does he want for us? What does he not want for us? 
So I'll just pick one list. Uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 21 will be on the screen. It says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So that's just a sample list. That's not an exhaustive list. These are things that go against God's will. Some of them are familiar. Some are like, oh, yeah, churches always talk about sexual immorality, blah, blah, blah. But look at some of the other things. Strife. Jealousy. You see, the important part about getting a little more particular, getting a little more defined, is that it doesn't give us a much, much wiggle room, right? So wait a minute, strife, are, are you a type of person who's always causing um, arguments and, and um, blowing up fits of anger, these kinds of things? Well, that's against God's will. Or how about jealousy? When someone else is doing well, do you look at them and say, oh, I wish I was successful and they weren't. You see, it's important to get particular because then we start to see, well, wait a minute. Sin is something, if it's serious, then uh, I see some of these things. I see some of these things. And the Apostle Paul is saying those who practice these things, that's not a part of the kingdom of God. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But sin is more than a checklist of behaviors. Notice some of these things are, are words. Some of these are thoughts. And I bring this up because, again, in our culture, we're so flippant about sin. And often it's not flippant in the sense of, I'm so confident in what Christ has done. It's more of, ah, it doesn't matter. So, you know, I don't care. It's not a big deal. But that's not what Jesus says here. God's kingdom is our forever flock. It's our home. It's eternal. And so if sin hinders us from our eternal home, if sin hinders us from stepping into all that God has for us, well, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. And that's why when Jesus, he warns us against sin, he warns us against causing others to sin. Notice what he says. Verse, I mean, Kathy already read it, but let's just pick out one verse. Verse 9. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes than to be thrown into the hell of fire. Wow. I mean, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is so important. It is eternal. So do whatever it takes to escape the danger. Like be a sheep and be like, oh, that's, and run away from that stuff and run to the shepherd. I want to unpack that a little bit because this is not literal in the sense that Jesus doesn't say, all right, if, you know, he wants people to poke their eyes out and he's using exaggeration as a teaching technique. To, his emphasis isn't, hey, throw your eyes out, chop your hands off. No, his emphasis is that sin is so serious that you do whatever it takes to separate from that stuff. And we know that because plucking your eye doesn't fix the problem. So let's say that you, you suffer from jealousy and envy, these things that God says are, isn't a part of his will. If you pluck out your eye, 
you're still going to be envious. You're still going to be jealous. You're gonna, in fact, now you'll be jealous that that guy has two eyes and you only have one, <laughs> right? And so that's one of the ways we know, okay, Jesus, he is using a teaching technique, this exaggeration, and don't miss the point and get hung up on chopping hands off. No, the point is, though, sin is so serious. And the, the serious of, seriousness of sin, again, it can seem strange to us in our culture, but not the disciples. This is, you know, we're in this section of Scripture where Jesus, is, they're talking about Jesus being the Messiah. He's bringing his kingdom. And the disciples are, try, are, are having a little bit of trouble figuring out, well, what does that mean? What, is, what does that look like? But this part they would get. In other words, the Messiah is coming to establish his kingdom, and he is going to judge sin. Anything that's against God, he's going to take it, and he's going to throw it into hell. He's going to establish God's kingdom in that way. So they understood, okay, the Messiah is going to get rid of sin, so be ready. Yeah, anything it takes, get rid of it. Do whatever it takes to get the sin out of our life because God's establishing his kingdom. That would be one thing they, they'd get, unlike, uh, again, us. But what they had trouble with was kind of the other part of our scripture where Jesus, he's also talking a lot about humility. He's also talking a lot about the Messiah's self-sacrifice. You know, how could the I mean, the good shepherd seeking out his lost sheep, like in verses 12 and 14, well, isn't time running out for that? Won't they be left behind? No. The lost are Jesus' mission. Jesus came to save the lost. And then later in chapter 18, and as I'm looking and explaining the scripture, I'm looking at all of chapter 18, even though we're just looking at uh, the first part. Next week, we'll deal with the other stuff is that Jesus tells this parable about a radical forgiveness to us sinners. So yes, in God's kingdom, sin will be done away with, but the shepherd came to bring forgiveness and freedom from sin so that many that are astray will be brought back into God's flock. So sin separates us from God. That is the consistent um, witness of Scripture. Isaiah 59.2 actually says that. Your sin separates you from God. But God doesn't want any to perish. That's what verse 14 said of Matthew 18. So sin is big, but Christ is bigger. So what do we do? Well, first I think is part of it is changing our thoughts is that we need to recognize the danger. We need to acknowledge the danger of sin. It will take our eternal life. I really wrestled this week with this scripture because, you know, we have a preaching practicum where we have a few people who are, you know, uh, preaching and we help one another. And one of the things about preaching is that, again, I feel feel strong that one of my jobs as a preacher is to take God's word and and help people understand it. But the other part of of preaching is not just understanding what the text means, but it's um, presenting it in a way where people will receive it, where people will uh, hear it and understand it right? That's a part of my job. That's what I try to do. And when you get to a section like this, this is what really for me is like, I, I understand our culture. So therefore I understand that whenever you talk about sin and hell, there's immediately people go, ah, and they just turn it and they tune it out.
We make Jesus in our image. Unfortunately, that's what we do, is that we all want Jesus on our side. And we love Jesus. But the problem is, is we take Jesus and we say, all right, sin's not a big deal to me, so therefore it must not be a big deal to Jesus. Um, I'm not motivated by hell, and that's a good thing, but, you know, hell is not really a thing I think about. So, you know, Jesus didn't talk about hell a lot. No, he did. He talked about sin and hell all the time. That's why it's so important to go to the scriptures and say, God, what are you saying? That's why it's important to go to the scriptures and say, God, what do you say is a sin? Because the message that Jesus says here is sin is so serious. Stay away from it and don't cause others to sin. And I want you to notice something here, too is that this warning is to believers. And the reason I say that is if you, right after what Kathy read, verse 15 through 17, Jesus starts talking about how do you handle sin? You know, what do you do? And uh, I'll read it quick. It says, you know, if your brother sins, brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take two or three others with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to that, even the church, let him to be you, to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So the context of this is the body of believers. And I say that because many times when we start about sin and how we're like, oh, yeah, that's them. Those people, they need to repent. Those people need to stop sinning. Those people, those people. We have the opposite um, approach to sin as the New Testament. The New Testament's approach to sin is we always start in ourselves first, not assuming it's those people. We start with ourselves. We remove the plank from our own eye. We start with the body of Christ. Because people outside the body of Christ, they're not equipped to live the, the follow the shepherd. We're the ones who said, no, I'm following the shepherd. We're the ones who say, Jesus, he saved us. Jesus died for my sins, so I'm going to follow him. The world hasn't said that. We're the ones. So we always look inside first. Then we look into the, 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 the flock. God's sheep should act like they hear him. Like they follow him. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 5.12 says this. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It's not those inside the church whom you to judge. So sin's a big deal. And the context of the scripture is the body. The, the idea is, wait a minute, why, why are you practicing those things that draw you away from Jesus? Why are you doing those things that, that Christ freed you from? Or why, why are you pouring salt on your french fries, you know, when the doctor said, that's going to kill you? Or Jesus pulled you out of the ditch. You were a sheep. You were in the, you were in the ditch. You, the, the other shepherds just left you there to die. You were torn by the wild beasts. Jesus brought you up out of that ditch. He, he nursed your wounds. He cleansed you. He made you whole and healthy again. And now you run back into the ditch. That's why along those lines in Matthew 18, 6, Jesus warns, woe to those who cause God's children to sin. It'd be better for a millstone to be strapped around his neck. The stakes are too high. 
We need to treat sin seriously. Now, what does it mean, cause others to sin? So many ways. One is abuse. One of the reasons that the abuse scandals, not just in the Catholic Church, but in many different denominations, those scandals are so scandalous, is that somebody who is supposed to represent God abuses people. And what happens then is that not only is that a sin, but you've, you've, you've hurt that little one. And now, and you know what happens, hurt people hurt people. And so although everyone is responsible for their own sin, when you cause others to sin, when you multiply sin in the world, you are going to be liable for that. And Jesus says, you know, don't, like, run from that if you cause other people to sin. But we also enable others to sin by acting as if sin isn't a big deal or acting as if, no, you're fine, you're fine. If I'm walking in envy, if you see me as a, a, a practicing envy or jealousy or strife, you don't enable me to do that. Don't say, oh, that's fine. You're just a jealous person. Not a big deal. No. Don't affirm my sin. That's what 15 through 17 talks about. Don't enable people to sin. Don't enable that by saying, no, that's fine. But rather stand for the truth. But I want to give a warning here. Because notice, how do we keep one another accountable? How do we warn one another as, as a church body? You go to the person. 15 through 17, right? He said, Jesus says, go and talk to your brother one-on-one. Go to that person privately first. You talk to people, not about them. Do you hear me? Because one of the reasons that a lot of people are, you know, like, oh, churches, they just, uh, you know, we don't do this thing well, is because we don't talk to people, we talk about them. Also, you're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. We're not the sin police, so we better be prayed up in doing what we do, talking out of true love and concern for this person. Because what did Jesus say in Matthew 7, 2? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So to me, that says a couple things. One is I've got to be really careful, need to do things in love, realize that I'm a sinner too, realize that, okay, I see these sins in this other person, but there's a lot of sins in me too. But that doesn't mean because I'm a sinner and they're a sinner, not a big deal. No, it's more like because the, I'm a sinner and they're a sinner, we both need to run to Jesus. And that's a part of what we do as a body is we say, oh, let's run to Jesus. Because it's not that sin isn't a big deal, it's because it's a huge deal. And because Jesus is bigger. So it's not like I'm judging you, it's like, our actions are not in line with God's will. I don't know your situation, I don't know, I've not walked in your shoes, but what I do know is we need to go to the shepherd. So the truth is sin is a big deal, but the good news is Christ is bigger. Verse 14, it's not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. 
So Christ came as a good shepherd to exchange his life for our sin so that every person can be freed from sin. And he cleanses us from sin, not for sin. He doesn't cleanse us from sin so that then we can walk in it. No, he cleanses us from it. He saves us from it. So we don't ignore it. We don't justify our sin. We don't run away from God. We get back in agreement with the shepherd. Because that's what faith is, right? What is faith? We confess that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead. That word confess in, in the Bible means agree. We agree with God. We agree that God, uh, that Jesus is the son of God, that he died for our sins, right? We confess that. We agree. Same thing with sin. We confess, no, God, this is against your will. And so I agree that it's not your will. So now, Lord, I run to you. Help me walk in your will. And the promise, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That when we agree with God, when we say, God, yes, this is against your will and I'm turning to you, I agree that this is wrong. Now, Lord, I need your help. I need your spirit so that I can walk in the freedom that you gave me. He gives us that freedom. But if you're not a believer, if you're not a part of God's flock, don't hear like, oh, I've got a set of things I'm supposed to do and not do. No, run to the shepherd because I can't live according to God's laws on my own strength. I need him. So that when I see the seriousness of sin, it's not so that we be racked with guilt. It's so that we would run to the, the shepherd and he will give us the strength. He, was, he would fill us with his spirit so that we can live in a way beyond ourselves. Because none of us can defeat sin. Even if from today until I died, I didn't sin and I'm going to, then that's not enough to make up for all the stuff in the past. No, we can't. We need the shepherd. So hell is real. Sin is real. Whether our culture thinks so or not. But I don't want you to think, okay, so, so yes, that is true. But here's the problem, and this is why I think a lot of preachers kind of skip over the hell thing and all that stuff, is that sin is serious, and we should really fear the danger that we are in from sin. And that should cause us to run to the shepherd. The problem with that, though, is that fear, even if it's a true fear that something is truly in danger, that's not really fulfilling the scriptures because the scriptures is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, and, and perfect love casts out fear. So that yes, if you're, you should be afraid of hell, you should be afraid that your sin will cast you into hell, but that will get you to turn to God and repent. But what's going to get you to live a life in accord with God where, you in, where you're not living out of, of fear and hiding from God, but rather you're living in love? It's to understand the seriousness of sin because then when we look at Jesus who died on a cross. Sin was so serious that Jesus had to give his life for it. 
That helps emphasize, wait a minute, God loves us so much that sin is so serious that we should be killed. We should be thrown eternally away from God's presence into hell where that was prepared for the devil and those who follow him. But instead, he takes on our sin on the cross. That should cause us to be filled with such a depth of love. Love greater than any other love that we want to follow Jesus, that we want to walk in his ways because he has given his life. He is the good shepherd. But see, the problem in, I think, American Christianity, it's not that we don't fear God enough, that we don't treat sin, I mean, the part of it is we don't treat sin serious enough. It's that we don't love enough. But again, we don't love enough because we don't see the depths of Christ's love, how he took on our sin. And sin was so serious that Christ had to die for it. But he didn't die for his sins. He died for ours. And that should fill us with this awe of who God is. It should fill us with this idea of what amazing grace that Christ would give his life for me. And so that as I walk and I'm a part of God's flock, I'm so, I'm so relieved and excited and overjoyed that Christ took away all my sin that I, I want to stay with him. I, if, if I'm away from him and his flock, I'll run under an ox. I don't care. I'll run whatever to get back to him because I know in him is life. I know he saved me. I know I, he can, I can trust him. And I don't want to do anything that would separate me from him, even for a moment. Now, that's the ideal, and many times I fail at this too. Sometimes my love grows cold, but when I think about the wondrous cross, when I think about his amazing grace and how even though sin is a gigantic problem, even though hell is real, Christ is still bigger. His love triumphs over death, and so I want to follow him with all that I have. Well, that's the, that's the word today. And so let's go to God now and pray and sing this last song. And this last song, Amazing Grace, um, it's not Amazing Grace, the typical one. It's This is Amazing Grace, which is still a great song. Um, <laughs> and it talks about how Christ, you know, he gave his life so we would be set free. And so we can sing this song with joy. And if, even if you're under conviction right now and you're like, yes, I've got sin that I need to get away from, well then confess that, agree with God and say, no, God, I'm running to you. And this song can then be a song of praise, a song of exclamation that you have been set free. So let's pray. Dear God, uh, we come before you and we acknowledge Lord, that we agree with you that sin is serious. We agree with you that the wages of sin is death. But Lord, we also agree that you came and gave your life to conquer sin and death. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd move about this place, that you'd light a fire in us, Lord, that you would maybe, for some of us, you'd bring us into the depths of the sin that we're in and see the seriousness of it so that then we would run to you. And I pray that, Lord, if there's any who's feeling, straining under the weight of sin right now, that they would confess their, their sin, but then they would confess that you are able and they would run to you. Lord, do that in us and through us. Move in a mighty way. 
we thank you and we rejoice over who you are, that you're bigger than any of our sins. Light a fire of love in our hearts, Lord. Do this, Lord, in us and through us, even now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.